Matthew Capone, and I'm the pastor here at Shine Mountain Presbyterian Church, and it's my joy to bring God's Word to you. A special welcome if you are new or visiting with us. We're glad you're here, and as I like to say, we are glad you're here not because you are filling a seat, but because we are following Jesus together as one community, and as we follow Jesus together, we're convinced that there's no one so good that they don't need God's grace, and no one so bad that they can't have it. And so we're glad that you're here because we believe that everyone needs to hear what God has to say to us in his word. Now, as we're in the Advent season, as I've reminded you before, Advent is an English word that comes from a Latin word, and that Latin word simply means to come or to arrive. And so at Advent, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came and he arrived. He came to this world as a baby. He was born as a real man in real space and real time. And so we look back and celebrate that. That's our first task of Advent. And then our second task of Advent is to not look back, but look forward. That Jesus has had his first coming, but we also know he's going to have a second coming. Now, I tell you guys from time to time about the odd quirks of my family. And one of our odd quirks, and this is something we celebrate all year, but we take especially seriously at Christmas time. And... It is the Capone family tradition of taking Amazon.com reviews very, very seriously. (laughs) We would not dare to purchase something for someone else in the family without reading the reviews first. And there's a science to this that we've gotten down, so you have to be careful. You look at the percentages, right? You don't just take a one-star review and believe it. You look at how many five-star reviews there are in relation to how many four-star reviews. In fact, we might tell someone this on Christmas morning. We might say, and we read the reviews, and this was the best one. And then there's always some uh, poor, sorry soul. You know, there's everyone's just raving about this item. It's the number one sold item on Amazon, and there will be someone who leaves a one-star review just trashing it, explaining why they don't believe anyone should ever use this product, and they can't understand why anyone else likes it. And so we, uh, we're coming now to something that has a little bit of a similarity to Amazon.com reviews, more than you, you might think, you might realize, and that is we've been in the Psalms, and we're now coming to a Psalm of praise. And when we read these reviews as a family, what we're looking for is we're looking for a product that is praised. We're not looking for a product that someone just says, oh, this is great, but we're looking for that meaty review. We're looking for that review that tells us exactly why this product is the best, why it's the greatest. You know, you, when you're on Amazon, you can actually uh, review reviews. So you can say, yes, this is a great review. And the reviews that get more yeses kind of shoot up on the page, if you know this. And the reviews that get a lot of no's shoot down. So sometimes you can see, you know, the most helpful good review and the most helpful bad review. And there are people who will make this kind of their life's passion, so they'll become rated as top reviewers. Now, we have not gotten into... Uh, that side of this. We're only review consumers. So we just let everyone else do the work for us. But you're looking for a review that tells you why it is that something's so good. In other words, we're looking for a review that's filled with praise, that's full of praise. And we don't necessarily think about praise in, that, in those terms in our culture, but we praise all the time. We praise products. We praise politicians. We believe that They will be great kings who will deliver us. It doesn't matter who the politician is. There's always someone there ready to praise them. We praise modern medicine and new conveniences. And so we're going to be in Psalm 96 this morning. And our question is this, why is God worth praising? 
if this were a review, if Psalm 96 were a review, it would be near the top because it's detailed in all the reasons why God is worthy of our praise. And yet as we think about praise, it's also, it's also something that's difficult as well. It comes easily, naturally to us to praise many things in our lives, and sometimes it seems like praising God is the hardest thing of all. Even if we've been Christians our entire lives, it's tempting to be quick to praise the things that make our lives easier, quick to praise movies that we love or books that we enjoyed to read, and then when we come to praising God, it's hard to find the same emotion. And so we're tempted, as God commands us to praise, and we're tempted to praise not God but ourselves, and not God but other people. And so we're going to look at this hymn of praise, this psalm of praise, and see why God is worth praising. What can we do? How can we reorient ourselves when we're tempted to praise anything else except God? How can we come to him with true praise? Not praise of cynicism, We live in a a culture that's cynical, and so we're good at seeing through everything. Of course, the problem with seeing through everything is that you're able to enjoy nothing. And so how can we enjoy God? How do we delight in him? How do we bring him the praise that he has earned, that he's worth? And so we're coming now to Psalm 96. This is God's word. And God tells us that his word is more precious than gold, even the finest gold. And it is sweeter than honey even honey that comes straight from the honeycomb. And so read with me now. We're in Psalm 96, starting at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Please pray with me as we come to this portion of God's word. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you are worthy of praise. We thank you that you have saved us, you've redeemed us from sin and evil. We thank you that you've created this world, you've given us a place filled with beauty and majesty, we thank you that you are the one who holds it together. And so we ask that you would help us now, that you would send your Holy Spirit so that we would be able to see you as more and more beautiful, that we would see Jesus for who he truly is. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, amen. 
just to make sure he gets his point across here, the psalmist repeats over and over and over again the actions that we're supposed to do. And so we see a stream of imperatives here. We're singing twice in verse 1. Once in verse 2, we're telling three or four times. We're declaring. We're saying over and over. The psalmist wants to make sure there is no doubt about the fact that he wants us to praise God. Not just a small praise or a little praise, but praise over and over and over. In fact, it says day by day in verse 2. That this is a praise that is constant, it's overwhelming, and that it keeps going, it never ends. And so why is it? What is the reasons in this review? Why is God worth praising? Well, we're told right away in verse 2, we sing to the Lord and we bless his name. And what is it that we're singing and blessing? What is it that we're telling about? It's God's salvation. God's salvation is why we praise him. That's the first reason that the psalmist gives us here. And so for the original singers of this song, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, when they thought about God's salvation, what they would have thought of more than anything else would have been God redeeming them from Egypt. The fact that he brought them out of slavery, that he parted the Red Sea. He was the great God who saved them. But then for us, people who live in the era of the church of the New Testament, God's great act of salvation is his act in Jesus that he sent Jesus as a man. He came and lived life on this earth for 30 years, and then he had ministry for three. He lived a perfect life for our sake, and then he died a death, taking the judgment for all our sins so that we could have his righteousness and he would take our sin. And so his salvation here, the salvation that we sing about, is the salvation that Jesus took all the punishment that we deserve and gave us all the righteousness that he earned. And yet the struggle of praise is that we know that. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you probably could have told me that. You know the basics of the faith. We said it together in the Apostles' Creed today. And yet it doesn't always move us to praise. Just because we know the facts of Christianity, because we know the, 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 the acts of God's redemption, doesn't, doesn't necessarily make our hearts sing. And so what do we do with that? One of my favorite scenes from, actually not one of my favorite scenes, my absolute favorite scene from the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy, and these are the movies, not the books, so I apologize, but I'm not sorry if you're a purist. <laughs> my absolute favorite scene comes when we encounter Theoden. This is in the Two Towers, so it's the second movie. Theoden is the king of Rohan. He's living in Edoras. And there's bad news for the inhabitants of Rohan because Theoden is under a spell. And Theoden is actually secretly under the power of Wormtongue, and Wormtongue is this slimy man, and he's an agent of Saruman. And so Theoden has been completely possessed. And so Rohan, things are very bad. Orcs are running all over the countryside. They're running roughshod. Uh, Wormtongue's in, in prison. Some of Theoden's relatives, he is harassing Theoden's daughter, Eowyn. And then Gandalf and Aragorn show up. And as they walk in, there's the dwarf Gimli with them, and Gimli says, you could find more cheer in a graveyard as they walk into the city. People aren't saying anything. They won't come to greet Aragorn and, and Gandalf. They just stay on their porches. But then Gandalf walks into the throne room, 
And after they've subdued the guards, he throws off his gray cloak and reveals himself as Gandalf the White. And right there in front of everyone, he performs an exorcism on Theoden. He casts out all the evil powers that are there. He says, I'm going to pull you like poison from a wound. And so we see Saruman, the evil power, being thrown back and pushed back as he sits next to his crystal glass. And what happens for the people of Rohan afterwards? The people who were before less cheerful than a graveyard, as we watch Gandalf and Aragorn walk out of the city, are filled with joy and praise. They can't help but cheer and rejoice and be glad because finally the dark spell is gone. Finally the power of evil has been dispelled. And so what was previously a group of people who are harassed and helpless are now a group of people who are rejoicing. Wormtongue is thrown out of the city. He's cast from the gates. Theoden's able to lead his people to safety at Helm's Deep. And so we see these people of Rohan, people who are scared, people who are without hope, people who are hiding in their homes. They're coming out. They're boldly cheering on their heroes because Theoden is finally restored to who he needs to be, who he was meant to be. And so the point is this. God's redemption is real. God's salvation is real. That when God comes and brings his salvation, it is the real destruction of real evil that exists in this world. There is real poison that he is drawing out from the wound. God has saved us, and he is continuing to save us. And so when we find ourselves unable to praise, we find ourselves unwilling to praise, not feeling that emotion, not feeling the joy that that we see here, the singing to the Lord of a new song, then we go back to God's redemption and we have to ask, what is the evil that has been thrown out of the towns of our lives? Because if we really believe that there is real evil and that God has really destroyed it, then we will have no choice but to praise him. When we're filled with God's spirit and we see the ways that he's freed us, the ways that he's not just redeemed us from the past, this is not just some sort of life insurance policy that we've accepted to protect us from God's judgment. But it is God redeeming us from the power of evil in the world even now. And so when we find difficulty praising, we have to come back to this question, what is the evil that God has driven out of our lives? And if we don't praise God, when we find ourselves tempted with cynicism and despair, or even differently than that, when we find ourselves just numb, it's because we can't name those things. We've lost sight of who we were before Jesus found us. We've forgotten the things that he saved us from. And so what has God redeemed you from? If you're a Christian, if you're someone who claims the name of Christ, then God has redeemed you from something. Maybe it was this. Maybe you could say, I refused to listen to other people. I insisted that I was always right. I was never interested in learning. I was always interested in winning. And it was killing my relationships. And now because of God's redemption of me, I understand that I am not always right. And I'd rather be wrong than win. And I have more intimacy in relationships and community than I've ever had before. 
And so God has saved me from that. His redemption is real. Maybe it's what we talked about in Philippians chapter 4. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe you can say, I used to believe that I was alone and helpless in this world. And now I know that not a hair can fall from my head without God knowing. And so God has redeemed me from that. He has set me free. Maybe it's as we talked about in Philippians as well. Maybe it's drugs and alcohol. Maybe you could say, I was unable to handle the pain of living in this world, the pain of my past, the pain of the stories of the people around me. And so I used that to escape and to numb. But now I'm able to face it and grieve because I know that Jesus faces it with me. Maybe it's as a parent, you can say, I, I used to believe that my worth was based on my kids' behavior and their achievements. And so I put my hope in them. And it destroyed both of us. It destroyed all of us. Maybe it's sexual experiences. I used to believe that that was the only way I could experience love and acceptance. And so I made promises with my body that I couldn't keep. But now I know that God accepts me and God loves me. And so day by day I can choose that instead. Maybe it's I put my trust in money rather than God. I thought it gave me security, but instead it made my world small. Maybe it was what we talked about last week. Maybe it's Psalm 72. Maybe I used to believe that my longings for a perfect and righteous government would, would happen here and now, would happen in this world. And so I was bitter and exhausted, and I despised people who were of a different political party. I spent my time doing that rather than loving my neighbor. Maybe it's what we talked about in Psalm 13 two weeks ago. I'm grieving now and I'm still grieving, but it's not without hope anymore. Because I know that because what God has done allows me to cry out to him and to hope in him. And so what has God redeemed you from? When we understand the depth and reality of God's redemption, it will no longer be difficult for us to do what we see here in verses 1 through 4. To sing to the Lord, to bless his name, and to tell of his salvation from day to day. We'll be like the people of Rohan who see God as our great redeemer. And so nothing makes more sense than to rejoice. Nothing makes more sense than to praise him for what he's done in our lives. This is a great review, though. And so that's just the beginning. We praise God because of his salvation, and that's why we praise him day by day, but the psalmist keeps going. Remember we talked uh, last week about the importance of the word for. The word for tells us why, it gives us a reason, and so we see that here as well in verse 5. Why is it that we praise God, not just his salvation, but for or because all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And so we don't just praise God because he is our great redeemer. He saved us from the presence of evil. But we also praise him because he's the great creator. He's the one who made the world. Now this is something that I've been uh, fascinated by as I've moved to Colorado. You know, we have this obsession in the state with 14ers. And... People love to talk about how many 14ers they've climbed. You could talk about, you know, the term I think is bagging 14ers. 
And it seems to be that there's this, this point of pride, like, look at me, I am so great because I have been able to climb a mountain. So I'll just ask you a question. Which is harder, climbing a 14er or making one? It's a great irony when we explore God's creation and then we give ourselves the praise. It would be as if you went and enjoyed an amazing meal and then decided that that made you a gourmet chef. You went to the best restaurant in town, ordered something, and then you wrote a review on the restaurant about what a great eater you were. <laughs> I went to this five-star restaurant, and you would not believe how carefully I ate the food. I enjoyed it so much. My taste buds are amazing. I'm actually a super taster. I mean, can you imagine reading that sort of review? But that's what we do when we take the, the creation that God has given us and we give ourselves the praise rather than him. We even ask, which is more impressive, to be an Olympic athlete here in Colorado Springs training at high altitude? Is that more impressive? Or is it more impressive to create and design the human body? Which is worthy of more honor, more glory, more praise? Last week we talked about Jesus and his redemption, his death and his resurrection as God's down payment, as our hope, what we look to. But the people in the Old Testament took confidence just as much, if not more, in the fact that God was the creator. In fact, one man has said that if God had a business card in the Old Testament, it would have said Yahweh. And then underneath it would have said creator of heaven and earth. And so that's what we see throughout the Psalms. In Psalm 124, it says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. In Psalm 121, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so the people of the Old Testament, as they looked around at God's creation, that was part of what led them to praise. And it's not just something that led them to praise, it's something that gave them confidence. It gave them confidence because they knew that their God was the creator. And so that no matter what came and what happened, it was the proof. It was its own sort of down payment that he was more powerful than anything else. And so what we see here is that no one is anything but a tenant on God's land. There's no government, there's no nation that's anything more than a renter on the land that God's given. Now, I'll probably say this about once a year. I think I said it once last year. There is no nation in history that has lasted forever. And there's no superpower in history that has stayed a superpower forever. But the Lord made the heavens. And so when we drive west into the mountains... We don't praise the people who climbed them, but we praise God who made them. And so it reminds us of his power, that he is worth praising. And so when we praise God, we are coming back in touch with reality. We are people leaving reviews on a restaurant who are finally capable of talking about the restaurant rather than ourselves. And so when we see God as the creator, 
we know him as their creator, again, we will have no choice but to praise him. Now, we can't uh, cover everything in this psalm. The psalms are redundant. They overlap. So there's some things that this psalm talks about that we talked about last week. There's some things that it talks about that we're going to talk about next week. We're going to look at a psalm of praise again next Sunday as we finish our Advent series in the psalms. But I'm going to show you one more reason in this review that we praise God. So we praise him for his salvation we praise him for his, his creation. But then we see in verse 10, we also praise him for some of what we talked about last week. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Now this judgment in verse 10 and verse 13 is similar to what we talked about last week with the royal psalm. But this adds a, a new element. Last week we talked about God's just rule, that he's going to come and set everything right, that he's going to be the perfect ruler. But here we see not his just rule, but his powerful rule. In verse 10, it's because of God that the world is established. In other words, the sun rose today because God chose for it to. And it's tempting at times for people to set our belief in God against science. And yet the very basis of the scientific method is that things happen in the same way over and over again. That there are laws and rules. And yet outside of God, that itself is an act of faith. To believe that the same thing is going to happen in the same way. It's an act of faith to believe that we live in an ordered universe. Just because something has happened in the past does not guarantee it will happen in the future. And so when we look outside and see God's creation, it doesn't just remind us of his power in making it, but his power in keeping it going. That the sun will only rise tomorrow if God makes it happen. So Jesus is exercising his kingship in the way that we talked about last week. Not just in the future, but he's exercising it now. Let me put it a different way. There's a lot of uh, utility companies. There's a lot of things that need to happen in Colorado Springs for things to work. So there are people who come up and pick up my trash and recycling. There's a water company that makes sure the water works. There's an energy company that makes sure the energy arrives. Which company is it that makes sure it rains? Which utility company does that? And which utility company is it that makes sure the sun comes up every day? And which utility company is it that manages the seasons and makes sure that summer goes into fall? If you know, you can come and tell me afterwards. The world is established. It shall never be moved. could ask it a different way. Instead of utility companies, you could say, which government, which human government makes the sun rise? Is it the U.S. or is it the Chinese? No, it's God. Because God's the one who holds up the earth. And so this psalm ends as it began. It began by commanding people to sing a song. And then we find out in the end 
that it's not just people who are singing a song. And I'll just say this, we'll talk more about it next week because we're going to look at Psalm 148, which addresses the creation singing. But here we see that not just God's people are singing, but the heavens are glad and the earth is rejoicing. All of creation is shouting out. All of creation is singing. The trees themselves are singing for joy. Because they know the truth. And so when we're tempted to praise ourselves, when we're tempted to praise other people rather than God, we can remember and return to God's redemption in saving us from the power and penalty of sin. We praise God because he is the great creator who made the heavens and the earth. And we praise him because he's the one who continues to hold everything together for us. And as we do that, the creation joins us as well. And so that's what we're going to sing. And this, our last hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore You, it says, All your works declare your glory. All creation joins to sing. That when we're in tune with reality, when we know and remember the world as it is meant to be, not just God's people, but everyone and everything will praise him. And so let's do that now. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you aren't just a powerful God, but you're also a good God. You're a God who saves us. We thank you that you're not just a God who saves us, but that you're a God who's powerful. And so we ask that you would help us to trust you, put our confidence in you more and more, and that that would lead us to praise. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.